This edition of the podcast is brought to you by the Weekly Standard 2016 Caribbean Cruise, December 4th through 11th. Let's face it, after this election season, we're all going to need a drink and a chance to get away. And what better way to rest up, recover, and get ready for the battle ahead than to join your Weekly Standard favorites like Bill Crystal, Fred Barnes, Steve Hayes, Jonathan Last, Matt Labash, and Matt Continenti on a beautiful Caribbean cruise. There'll be plenty of opportunities for one-on-one conversation with your Weekly Standard favorites, plus special guests like Eric Erickson of TheResurgent.com, Mary Catherine Hamm, Molly Hemingway of The Federalist, and Pulitzer Prize-winning cartoonist Michael Ramirez. You'll enjoy daily panels and speeches, private cocktail parties, and nightly dinners with your fellow guests and speakers. To learn more or to reserve your cabin, go to WeeklyStandardCruise.com. This is one year when we all need something to look forward to. So look forward to the Weekly Standard 2016 Caribbean Cruise, December 4th through 11th, weeklystandardcruise.com. Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us on the Weekly Standard is Mark Hemingway. And Mark, unlike former Secretary of State Colin Powell, could you please keep it clean today? <laughs> could you? Hopefully, Let's Russian. leave bimbos out of the conversation. Well, believe me, if Russian hackers got a hold of my email, we could all be in trouble. <laughs> me and all my friends would be rotting in cells from here to Tijuana and back. Oh, don't worry. Once President Trump is in office, your emails will be rounded up. And <laughs> right, right. All I've asked is I just want a, a, a cell at the education camp with a window. That's all I ask for. Well, if Hillary Clinton is uh, president, uh, I'll probably be in a camp, too. So, you know, it's damned if you do, damned if you don't. You know, smoke them if you got them. If you don't know what we're talking about with Colin Powell, I can't tell you on a family-friendly podcast, but just Google Colin Powell, email Bill Clinton, and you will laugh and you will agree with every word. It's just, I mean, for the shorthand is is that he had some choice words to describe mm-hmm. Bill Clinton's relations with uh, younger women. Yes, but also, it also echoes the question that people have been asking about, and you had a great piece at the Weekly Standard about how reporters are falling for this bogus dehydration thing. Right. About, well, where was Bill Clinton? Your wife is out campaigning for president. It's the anniversary of 9-11. She's got pneumonia. She's walking around. If if that were my wife, I would be at her elbow. Well, where was Bill? Part of this could simply be a strategic choice. I mean, as it is, Hillary Clinton only got where she was because she was her husband's, you know, wife. Mm-hmm. And you know, this is not the narrative you want the biz big feminist triumph. You know, but still, um, wouldn't you? If it, I mean, your your wife is a successful, far more successful than you in the media person. Wouldn't you want to be near her? Well, this brings up a, a bigger issue, which is to say that. To what extent are the Clintons even functionally married anymore? Uh, good point. And this has been going on for you know uh, you know fifteen years now, basically since they got out of the White House. They haven't really maintained any sort of illusion, but, and they're maintaining sure, separate residences. And such. isn't it interesting that the media that's covering the presidential race? And you know how the media get during the race? They cover every angle. You know, right. the 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 cab driver who drove you know Trump to the corner has a son who was of an. They they cover every you know the menu items on receptions, and yet nobody has asked the obvious question, where was Bill? <laughs> which is part of what I want to ask you about for today's podcast, yep. which is uh, the willingness, not just of the uh, press, to buy nonsensical arguments from the Clintons. Oh, of course we didn't tell you she had pneumonia because, uh, of course we lied to you about what happened to her when she passed out because uh, they'll, they'll follow along. But when she called millions of Americans racists, xenophobes, and Islamophobes, it's not only the press didn't object, 
uh, as you pointed out in a new piece of so the weeklystandard.com, they're jumping on board. Yeah, no, absolutely. And don't forget you call them homophobes. Oh, homophobes too. Coming yes. from a person who supported gay marriage, you know, who was opposed, excuse me, was opposed to gay marriage until mm-hmm. 15 minutes ago. Um, so, yeah, it, it's really strange uh, that, you know, you could do something like this and, of course, you know, the media just immediately turn around and say, well, you know, she's got a point. You know, in some respect, you could say that it was a smart move because it's going to force people to talk about, well, to what extent is there this alt-right racist support mm-hmm. of Trump? Um, and, you know, I kind of see that. But uh, um, at the same time, I, again, it just widens this gulf between ivory tower, you know, beltway mm-hmm. elitists, you know, who, who look down on, on regular people anyway. And, and I think that pervasive notion is going to be more damaging than anything else. Well, you have Donald Trump, who's if you had to find a premise for his campaign other than isn't this a great way to launch a new media conglomerate in 2017 would be I'm with you, the flyover country, forgotten right. people, and she's with the power center insiders on the coasts. And I can't think of a better way to reinforce that than to have all these media people lining up to say, once again, think about how offensive it is to look at somebody and say, you know, you're a bigot, homophobe, right. hater, right? And that's just, even if you think it, that's a <laughs> rude thing to say. And yet you've got people who supposedly work for the popular press. That is, they need thousands of readers treating their readers that way well if you look at the polls i mean it's the not so popular press i mean the media is just absolutely Mm -hmm. hated these days and for good reason i mean Mm -hmm. i think incidents like this um and the water carrying certainly do turn people off but it's more than just simply kind of you know she's got a point or not you know calling her out on it uh someone at the washington post actually wrote a diatribe explaining why she's absolutely right america's a nation's full of awful racist well it wasn't someone at the washington post it was it was it was dana milbank who is one of their regular columnists and i you know i I don't generally single out reporters or columnists Mm -hmm. oftentimes the guys are just doing their jobs but dana milbank has a real habit of sort of acting in bad faith and this was classic milbank in that regard so basically his column if you're familiar with the template you know that liberals pull out and this sort of thing was to say that yes she's correct and then he of course pulled out a bunch of social science data from you know academic social scientists who are 90 percent democrat who by the way their entire field is in a state of crisis because nobody can ever reproduce their results right you know they use all kinds of dodgy methodology to come up with a sort thing and it's just not grounded in in real world mm-hmm. um a sense of how the real world is i mean if you really think half of republicans are um racist you don't know any republicans or again you're relying on some weird social scientist to you know right. twist the data and define mm-hmm. racism down to well, prove your point and, and i hate having to get into an argument like this but to throw out a little bit of data uh in 2006 a majority of democrats a majority told pollsters that they either thought 9-11 was an inside job or they weren't sure that it wasn't. A majority. uh, I I forget the exact percentages, but repeatedly again and again, uh, significant uh, pluralities inside the progressive left have said that they aren't sure that vaccines are safe for their children, which is why the places where you're having these resurgence of whooping cough and stuff aren't, you know, destitute, you know, barrios along the Texas border. It's in elite San Francisco communities. Now, 
I'm not saying that liberals are a bunch of anti-science conspiracy theory kooks because I know that's not true. Right. Because I know them and I talk to them and listen to them. But you see this on both sides. I mean, Mm -hmm. and a lot of it, I think, has to do with the breakdown in trust of institutions. And people don't believe these, you know, broadly true things anymore because they don't trust the people that are telling them. It's the same reason why, again, you saw a ridiculous amount of support for birtherism among Republicans. The fact of the matter is, is that large scale political coalitions these days, it is a, unavoidable to have people on the fringe of these things that are sure. you know absolutely nuts and or violent and or you know spouting dangerous things, um, and at the same time you can't stop certain you know particularly right. attractive ideas, however damaging and wrong they might be, from gaining sort of currency. And that's true of both Republicans and that's true of Democrats. And I because the media are more in league with the Democrats, they really only play up the fact that sure. these ideas take hold among Republicans right. while ignoring the problems in, in the Democrats' backyard. In two thousand eight, a sitting member of Congress Congress in Massachusetts gave a speech in which he said, or actually wrote a letter, excuse me, in which he said that he legitimately feared that George W. Bush would not step down as president and that he would use the FEMA camps right. to, uh, you know, to uh, confine people so that he could keep himself in office. And he was a sitting Democratic member of Congress right, at but, the time. But, but when Glenn Beck talks about FEMA camps, who's right. not as, you know, uh, an elected representative, exactly. even, you know, again, it gets tarred with the entire Republican Party. Mm-hmm. So what's your takeaway from the uh, basket of deplorables storyline. Is it going to be the case that it reminds uh, the Democratic coalition how much they hate Republicans? Or is it going to be the case that it's going to remind a lot of flyover Americans in states like Ohio, Pennsylvania and Florida of what the elites really think of them? I think it's more the latter. um, But I, I I didn't write this, but you know here's this sort of interesting counter my interesting I hope uh, counterintuitive take on it, which is that I think that this feeds into an insecurity complex among elites because in this country and our wonderful information economy as efficient as it is, there are all kinds of people that can be enormously successful uh, monetarily and enormously successful in their careers, get elected things whatever, and never have had to do anything. Right. And Trump and the Trump class represent a big sort of break from this you know if i am a plumber in the midwest yep. you know I, i'm a, i'm a you know probably a good guy i'm probably doing all right for myself i'm getting anywhere from 60 to 80 bucks an hour you know as a plumber and at the end of the day if i stand up for you know three hours under somebody's sink and i turn on the faucet and no water comes out everybody knows that i didn't do my job and, and like and not and doing your job at the end of the day is a fundamentally moral act you know right. maybe there's all kinds of other you know cultural breakdown in this country but at the end of these days these guys take their their responsibilities seriously because they don't have the luxury of not, you know, of screwing up in the job and, right. and you know, being forgiven. Whereas, you know, a guy like Barack Obama, I mean, literally, what has he ever done in the ter- in, in the real world? I mean, you know, Yale Law School, you know, a series of, you know, academic, you know, things. I mean, <laughs> he has no actual practical experience. And I think people resent that there's an entire class of politicians out there that are successful without mm-hmm. having actually done anything you can point to. Now, Trump is an interesting character because I don't think he's actually done anything, inherited a ton of money from his dad, but if he, you know, he at least understands the power of the illusion of pointing to a building that has his name on it, right. even if he only licensed his name to put mm-hmm. on the building, right? So people at least like the idea that Trump intrinsically gets that you should contribute something, you should build something as a member of the political class and have some sort of, you know, um, um, you should be able to touch base with reality in that right. regard, whereas the entire political class anymore, entire media class, entire, you know, sort of East Coast financial elite, I mean, these guys are completely divorced from the moral reality of having contributed something and actually having done an honest day's work. And then you add to that in this election where people desperately want change and the argument from Democrats is 
you just can't trust that change. It's too out there. Right. This undermining of trust in fundamental institutions makes it easier for voters to say, well, why should I vote for you anyway, Hillary? You're just as bad as he is because everything around you is false, bogus, built on air, right. as you just pointed out, or is uh, you know, part of a, a scam or is just an inside game designed for you to screw me. Yeah. And so it makes it easier to break away. You know, I, I have been saying for a year, I guess now, close to a year, that I, I can't take Donald Trump's election seriously. And I still think that if you look at the Electoral College map and the way votes tend to go and this kind of persistent three to five percent advantage that Hillary has, I still think it's unlikely that he wins the election. Right. But if you said to me, I just came back from the future, you know, my DeLorean's parked outside and Trump is you know, being sworn in on James. That, that was the I plot of not, Back to the Future, too, by the way. It was. Yes. I, I don't think I would be stunned. I, I would say, oh, OK. And that's and it's not because of Trump. It's not because he's calmed down or he's had a couple of weeks where he didn't say incredibly insane things. He only said moderately insane things. It's because of Hillary and the team around her continuing to grow this divide between themselves and typical Americans. Well, I thought the deplorable's comment was really interesting in, in one respect, which is that it's so much of a break from her husband's way of doing things. Just a, yes, a short exactly. while ago, Bill Clinton was lamenting the fact that, you know, coal workers and all these other people had turned their backs on the Clintons mm-hmm. after all the good that they had done for them, you know, economically and otherwise. Now, you can argue over the economics or whether the benefits of the Clinton presidency, but at the end of the day, Bill Clinton cared whether ordinary people liked him. Yep. Hillary Clinton goes out there and it's like, hey, let's write these people off. Remember, she didn't just say that these people were deplorable. She said some measure of them were irredeemable. Um, And that is very different than her husband's style Mm -hmm. of politicking. Well, it's the the premise that President Obama has operated on for eight years. The only thing wrong with this country is the citizens. And if he could just change those, (laughs) everything would be great. Uh, Mark Hemingway, thanks so much for joining us. I appreciate it. Why don't you go check make sure your wife has water? <laughs> uh, that would be good. Right. And, uh, and Colin Powell, thank you, thank you, thank you for making my week. I'm telling you, if you could guarantee me that at the end of this election, the result would be Hillary and Trump on a desert island with one knife and a gallon of water, this would be the best election ever. The only bad thing about this election, the only bad thing, is that someone actually gets elected. If they could just t- take that part off the end, this would be... The best, best ever. Thank you, bimbos. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard Podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. Also, subscribe to our podcast via iTunes. Go to iTunes.com and you'll never miss another Weekly Standard Podcast. And check out our wonderful new products over at podcastone.com, including the Crystal Clear Podcast every Friday. I'm your host, Michael Graham.